Hey, Sox fans. Welcome to Good Guys Talk Back, a local fan-centric Chicago White Sox podcast. Hosted by Nick Morowski and Pat Hester. Hey, Sox fans. Welcome to episode 153 of Good Guys Talk Back. I am Nick Morowski, and this is a local fan-centric Chicago White Sox podcast. You can find us everywhere you find your podcast. We are going to bring in uh, James Fegan of The Athletic in just a moment. But first, uh, bring in my co-host, Pat Hester. Uh, hello, sir. Nick, I'm excited to talk to you. We'll try and make this as entertaining as a George McCaskey press conference. What do you say? Yeah, there's a lot or of can we have as many awkward that. pauses? I'd love to have as many awkward and, and you know, dead air as, as, a, as a Bears press conference. He's a fan. Uh, we're fans, so I think we got that going for uh, for ourselves. You you probably spent more time with that press conference than I did. You're None. more committed Zero. to the Bears than Zero. I. Am. No, I, I uh, I'm I'm officially uh, out. I'm listening to people at a at a podium because you know you know my thought on it. It's mostly garbage and lies. <laughs> garbage and lies are you somebody that's looking for a second team that's very popular right now no I, for a I, second I team to root I can't for root for a, a, an additional team i don't have time in my day but um i <laughs> i would just i'm just hoping that one you know they'll do their normal thing every five years they might get to the playoffs and then take a nap for a little bit but that is what it is that's what we're here to talk about though nick we're here to talk white Sox, and and we've got a special guest with us today. yeah yeah, we, we've got some things to, to kick around here. Um, uh, folks, from The Athletic, White Sox reporter uh, James Fegan. James, thank you so much for letting us steal some of your time. Yeah, I was just pulled away from a you know a game and you know the winter meetings and whatnot. And, uh, you know, talk with all my sources endlessly. Uh, well, James, let's start there. So this obviously, you know, this is what you do. Like, can you explain to us, and maybe this will be a very short answer explain to us how hard this has been uh, on on guys like you to come up with content and and put something down on paper and put something out to people that they want to read when there's not much to talk about um yeah it's it's not been great uh <laughs> like i i think our, my company's pretty understanding that there's not much to go through right now um and you know the like it was better in december because, uh, you know, you kind of have goals of, uh, like, how much readership you want in a year. Uh, and so you can kind of, if you've, like, met them, like we did because the White Sox had an exciting year. And a lot of people, like, read and subscribed. And, you know, thank you all very much for that. And it's like, well, nothing happening in the last, like, three weeks of the year. It didn't make, like, any of my numbers look, like, bad or anything like that. Whereas, right like, now, and especially, you know, there, there's a sense, like, you don't want to, like, want to give guys an off season you want to give guys their holidays and not like you're not going to pester people too much with nothing's going on and like you know middle of december but now this week has been a bit more like hey do you want to do like check-in interviews or uh you know this this would be the type of situation that i'd be reaching out with players or coaches to kind of see what's going on like i think this time last year i did like a really long interview with ethan katz about like his plan for like every pitcher and uh you know right now one team employees uh for whatever league mandate, like can't talk about 40 man players anyway, but like the White Sox are just kind of going into shutdown mode, um, even just blanket across the board for team employees. So it's not like I can call up the, the farm director and talk about like prospects either right now. Yeah. 
Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a lot of uh, foreign territory as far as like what to do, like even even options that were available during when sports shut down um, as far as like talking to team PR departments and stuff like that is, is really not available right now. So I think everyone knows the situation we're in, but as far as me wanting to be productive, it, it's a very awkward time. I kind of like I was awake at eight this morning and I thought like, Oh, this is a good time to get up. And then another voice was like in my head, like, why, what are you doing? <laughs> I was like, you're right. And I went back to sleep. So like, that's kind of where I'm at right now. That's where you're at. Uh, in about a month, we, t- we typically would be, we talking about pitchers and, and catchers reporting, um, in your mind, from your perspective, like where are the sticking points? Where, where do you what do you think are the the biggest issues that are uh, going to be problematic uh, to, to come to an agreement on? Um, I mean, it's weird because it's not like there's a big like one central thing they're trying to get. Like they're trying to basically players kind of want to see some sort of major restructuring or rethinking of um and not even maybe major like it's not like they're gonna abolish the arbitration system and one agreement or something like that but want to see some sort of shift in the way um you know players are compensated the economic model of the sport and the owners are kind of just thinking everything in terms of like give a little get a little like if you want to institute a salary floor they want to lower you know the the threshold for a collective bargaining agreement or if um you want to like shift the uh, the age or you know how many years you need of service time to like reach free agency they want to then you know make a counter move that like compensates them as well so like they don't, there's not going to be like this big concession uh that you know makes everything a lot more player friendly like overnight so like it, it's hard to see them kind of making the progress that necessarily they want with an ownership that's really not like tune for it if anything is trying to score like maybe the third straight cba victory so that and the fact that like they're doing this this kind of brinksmanship where they're not really trying to negotiate anything until like spring training being delayed or games being taken off the slate is something that's like a threat that's hanging over the head of the negotiations feels to me like no one really wants to actually get started until like one side is feeling pressure so that's what i feel Mm -hmm. is going to like delay things um like, do you think, James, I think these things are going to be delayed, um, you know, in, you, in in your mind? Do you think there's going to be spring training missed? I mean, everyone keeps saying, like, there's so much money at stake. There's no way. But do, do you think things will be pushed back? There's so much money at stake, but at the same time, like, no, like, no one feels pressure until the money is actually threatened. So I don't know why, like, it, it feels like, especially with the way, that, like, they're not going to present a core economic proposal until this week. And, you know, the lockout's been in place for five weeks at this point or more. Um, that is the thing that's going to supposed to spur concessions from either side. So it, it seems like inevitable, like nothing's really going to progress until, you know, we start or talking about, all right, we're already missing a week of spring training. We want to do more because it'll make the season chaotic. Or we're already missing half of spring training. Or we're already talking about losing 10 games or 20 games. Now we're going to start making concessions. So I feel like as much as everyone says no one wants to lose uh, any schedule or like contract the season, that is like the pressure point that like both sides are kind of like itching towards. Yeah. But maybe not even both sides, mainly ownership is kind of pushing things towards like 
we're not really going to negotiate with you until like you're already kind of on this, you know, kind of being dangled over the ledge. So that that seems like what's worrying on my side is that um, they're kind of using losing games as this leverage point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, James, you know, there's a lot of talk and a lot of things that they've, you know, you know, meatballed and spitballed about, you know, in terms of rule changes and how we're going to divide up the financial pie. What is like one or two things that you think would be most important in, in changing the game for the better, whether it's rules changing, realignment, playoff expansion or how, uh, you know, how the system works financially? What, what are one or two things that you would point to that would improve the game? Um. Hmm. I mean, I, I haven't like thought about it a ton, but I guess like a salary floor or some sort of um, like you want to get rid of service time manipulation in some way. Right. So I guess like if you set free agency more towards just like an age cut off, like that makes sense, but it would have to be low because otherwise you're like, really punishing star players who make it up at like if you set the free agency cut off at where it normally is at like or where nor where players normally reach free agency which is like between 29 and 31 then like that totally stinks for like uh you know a manny machado who made the majors at like 20 or something like that and the team has like you want to give teams like all of a sudden like eight to ten years of control uh, of guys like that um but you, you want to have some motivation that, you know, the star players, the top prospects kind of get brought up right away as opposed to, you know, staggered out as much as possible. Like, it, I suppose if you set the free agency mandate at, like, 28, all of a sudden the White Sox have all the reason in the world to bring up Luis Robert. Um, what was it, 2019? Uh, because, mm-hmm. you know, you, you've got, like, the set amount of bullets of, of Luis Robert. Um, you, you kind of want to give reason to, to kind of accelerate you know, those top prospects uh, to the major summit. So maybe that is something uh, to be held. Uh, but I, I, I think the owners would want that number to be, you know, fairly high to the level where I, uh, like the initial proposal of it being like 29 and a half, like that probably really doesn't excite the players in any reasonable way because it's not a meaningful improvement to, to their existence. It's just, uh, you know, kind of making it, it's the same like shape of, uh, not getting the free agency, but it, it's just now measured in a different way. So yeah, I, I think that's not very exciting. Like, um, I'm not like absolutist about it, but obviously, you know, universal DH would create a lot of jobs uh, for hitters. And I think obviously, you know, growing up watching the White Sox, like American League ball is what I've, I'm used to. And so I definitely wouldn't mourn like the loss of pitcher hitting in any real way. Um, other than, you know, the occasional extremely goofy weirdness or you know the joy of like dylan cease like going mm. nuts like uh in right. cincinnati that was that was fun while it happened even if you wouldn't like base the whole system around uh <laughs> making sure that happened as much as possible um well like i think probably more graduated uh arbitration system where guys just like guys are just it, if you're zero to three in arbitration um it's just really perilous existence because you're just making the league minimum. You're not in a position to like have life changing money and you're just, just the threat of like injury hanging over you or, uh, you know, kind of bouncing around. Um, it, I think some way where it's more graduated salary structure in the first three years, uh, where you're actually advancing as opposed to like just making 500 K, uh, you know, and, and not barely 
anything more for the first three years, like that would be meaningful as far as like providing some security for guys who are really on the, you know, most players, you know, that's as far as their careers get. You know, I, you watch a rebuild, you see plenty of guys like, you know, Nicky Delmonico or um, Daniel Palka, who, you know, those, those first three years are really where they're valuable players. And um, that's where they're going to be earning most of their career uh, <laughs> earnings. So you want to see that be more secure for a lot of guys. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's, it's complicated. Um, I, I don't have a, a, a straight answer at all with that. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll switch to, to kind of this current uh, White Sox team uh, b- based off the article you wrote last week. Love the article. Um, so, some hitters that could really have a bounce back in 2022. Um, you know, in your mind, who's a guy that you would like to see really have a bounce back in 2022? And who's the guy that is probably is more likely to actually have a significant bounce back in 2022? Like to see, like I like him personally, or something Correct. like that. Correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I spent like all of 2018 being like, "Oh my god, I can't believe how good of a hitting prospect L.A. Menes is." I've never <laughs> seen anything like this level of domination uh, in the minors, even though like it was my second year covering baseball full time. So, what does my opinion mean? <laughs> um, but it, it just stands the reason, like he was so dominant that like it, it just, I don't, I would have to rethink the way I watch baseball. If like he didn't kind of return to form in some way uh, after last season, it just like, he's been talked about as this MVP level bat by like so many people, not just publicly, but like privately, but from, you know, scouts and evaluators I trust uh, for so long that I, I, I think he has to return back to normal in some way. Otherwise I kind of need to like, <laughs> rethink how much I know about baseball, uh-huh. um, which I already am forced to kind of try to rethink all the time. But I, I would like if he didn't make me look like an idiot. Um, <laughs> since I wrote the like one, he does make me look like an idiot because when I asked him, like, you know, how are you hitting? He's like, you know, don't you watch? I'm extremely good. And makes fun <laughs> of me at Zoom pressers and whatnot. Uh, but I, I would, I would like uh, if. I didn't look like a fool for basically saying like this, this is a guy you build your team around. And I, I think he will, um, you know, he tore a ligament in his chest. Uh, I, I assume he'll be better the farther he gets out from it, but um, I, it would also probably, uh, you know, make my, my comments less annoying. Uh, you know, people talking about how he needs to be traded and you know, he's one dimensional and uh, he's a bust and whatnot. Uh, not that I really read those much anymore or, I think uh, there's someone you almost get kind of calm the more of uh, just venom you see constantly uh, directed at a topic, but because it starts <laughs> to mean nothing to you. But yeah, yeah, so, I, I think LA should be better. So James, let's let's uh, fast forward. Let's go post lockout, and we're going to talk about uh, you know how the Sox are going to go and attack the rest of filling in the in the blanks here with uh, with the holes on the roster that. Are there? Would you be shocked more if if uh, if the Sox are aggressive and spend aggressively, or would you be more shocked uh, if they are, uh, you know, a little bit more uh, fiscally responsible? Let's put it that way. I mean, I guess what 
I think expect them to be fiscally responsible in like some respect. Like I would not be shocked if there's like one big get. Um, I would be shocked if like they go and like sign the top five free agents currently on the market. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, like the moment that market reopens, like I, I think they are very aware they need like a second baseman. Um, I think they've at least monitored the starting market, but obviously have passed on the major things. I, I expect like another reliever signed. And, uh, you know, there, there could be like another like left-handed addition to like the offensive of mix at this point, but they're fully aware that like there's nothing in the organization starting second baseman wise. And um, so I, I think there'll be something there. There's not like a ton of options um, and they certainly could just go and like search with their, uh, you know, Craig Krimble, Craig Kimbrell uh, trade ship can do. Um, if nothing else, trading him away mean I never, you know, mispronounce his name on a podcast again. <laughs> or uh, get we can bleep that out. We'll have Nick. Uh, <laughs> nah, we'll take that out in post. Yeah, sure. But uh, yeah, yeah, I I I, I don't expect like a bonanza. Uh, I'm not expecting them to sign Carlos Correa or anything like that. Uh, but I don't think like they're going to fill like second base with like a minor league free agent or like give 600 at bats to Romy Gonzalez either. So I expect yeah. them to be kind of like splitting the difference the way they you know typically do where yeah they do enough where you'd be like all right you know they're they are trying to win with this but they also are not like you know throwing everything to the wind and um, or you know spending at like a top five uh i mean they could with all the raises they have in in place get themselves where they're like i want i'd have to look at the numbers but i want to say they're going to be in like top eight territory but Mm -hmm. i don't expect like a big paradigm shift where all of a sudden the Dodgers after the, the lockout ends. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you have a sense of what Carlos Rodon is, is, is looking for? And and do you maybe have a thought or prediction of what team might give that to him? Um, not like a specific one. Like I think they're looking for some sort of like multi-year deal. There's, I, I think they're realistic and they probably can't get like much more than like three four years um mm-hmm. and you, you probably have to depend a little bit on the scarcity of starting pitching market which is now there uh to get something like that and you know depend on the fact that like you know, it looks like it's been a kind of a big spending market uh and the fact that he doesn't have a, a qo tied to him maybe boosting his market a little bit um i i couldn't say like i know the mets are, are uh looking for pitching i i would probably just list teams that need rotation help which is pretty significant i know the giants like they're supposed to have money to spend and, and definitely have uh uh rotation needs and probably had are one of the better orgs in terms of saying like maybe we could keep him healthy or something like that but it's not like i i know exactly like who's offering him or something like that i i just expect like a, a team that maybe is smart about not needing 250 innings for him or, or not needing him to be like their big number one guy but maybe just needing like you know 150 high quality innings or a team that's already pretty close to being in contention like one of those two teams would possibly make sense but mm-hmm. um i don't know uh mistakes are made every day in, in baseball yeah. so maybe there yeah. could be a team that's asking too much of him but and would you know compensate by paying him too much so it'd work out good for carlos and yeah. in which case good for him mm-hmm. yeah. yeah james last one for me uh you know the aforementioned uh craig kimbrell which you know we'll, we'll stumble over can it work can if there's not a trade partner before you know as we get out of the lockout 
and we can't fill a hole that we need by via the trade and using Kimbrell as that trade piece. Can it work with him in our bullpen, or is it beyond the point of no return in terms of, you know, he's a closer, we don't have a closing position open, uh, he can't be an eighth inning guy, is, is it completely broken, or is there still hope if a trade can't be made? I think, like, it could work. Like, I don't think, like, Kimbrell just can't pitch in the eighth inning uh, since he's done so in the past. I think probably his issues uh, were more about, like, the fact that, like, it seems like more frequently over the last three years with the struggles with the Cubs, with some of the, you know, the, you know, control problems he ran into in the end of Boston that, you know, as he's aged, as the innings have piled up, he gets into these funks with command a little bit more often than they did early in his career. Like, he, it's a little bit harder to be, you know, as physically precise or having the exact same athleticism and repeating his delivery than maybe it was when he was 22. I think that's probably more the culprit of a stretch he got into than, um, you know, as far as just not riding on his back leg as, as long as he wants to, then, you know, psyching himself out and not being able to pitch in the eighth inning. I, you know, I think that was probably more the issue. Uh, but at the same time, Rick Hahn is extremely circumspect about his words and he does not talk about just like trading a guy um, all the time with a trading guy. Like he didn't mm -hmm. talk about trading Dane Dunning. He didn't talk about trading uh, whoever other guys that they've like shipped out or prospects like for him to be as open as they've been and the organization to be as, as open as they've been about moving him. I, I think that's the plan. So mm -hmm. um, theoretically I definitely think it worked, but you know, the, all, all the indications are that they're, you know, shopping him out and they feel like they'll have a market for him and that, you know, maybe not every major like uh, bullpen piece has moved yet. I think there was some, uh, it was really starting pitching the market that kind of like moved extremely quickly uh, uh, right before the lockout. And I don't think necessarily every, uh, every piece as far as like major shutdown relievers did. So I feel like they're still kind of waiting for that to assemble and you know, they all tout that they did their research to know that there will be a market for Kimbrel. So I still kind of think that will happen, even though there's been, you know, obviously if this was a normal off season and they had said they were going to trade Kimbrel and we were sitting mid January and they had it, we'd be kind of thinking rightfully what the hell, but um, I, I, I still think that's the plan at this point. Hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of why I think bullpen's going to be a major need for them and maybe not major. Cause you've got like, the top hierarchy worked out in terms of Hendricks, Graveman, Bummer, Crochet, but um, they definitely need a lot more depth in that unit because you don't have like a Cody Hoyer or a Matt Foster. Well, you have Matt Foster, but you don't have like um, a shutdown guy in AAA or in AA who's necessarily going to, you know, have a fast track to the majors. You have a couple of candidates who maybe fringy be there, but you really need. They went six deep with their relievers last year in terms of guys they could really trust in the late game situation. I think they're really still at four right now. So mm. um, that's something yeah. I think there's one more guy I really seem to add to. Yeah, I, I mean, Pat and I have talked quite a bit about, you know, it's sure it's a second baseman. Sure, it's a right field potentially, but I feel like it's so much pitching, especially when you're going to try to lean on Kopech. Uh, he's going to be limited. Um, you're losing Rodon. Um, let, let me ask you about another starting pitcher in uh, Giolito. Uh, read some articles, you know, over the last few weeks. Obviously, Giolito says the right things when asked about an extension, and sure, he'd love to be a White Sox for the rest of his life. Uh, there's so much that goes into that that we don't even know about. Um, 
a lot of people, you know, fans seem to tie in this window of competitive play uh, for the White Sox with Giolito's contract. Do you feel like, let me, it's kind of a two-parter. Do you believe in that? Do you think the window of opportunity can, can go along with the Giolito contract? And do you think there's, there's hope for an actual extension uh, for Giolito and, and to stay with the White Sox? Um, I mean, it's certainly a major piece they would have to figure out in the sense that, like, there's not necessarily, well, we need to see, like, some major emergence of the sort of starting depth to replace them because I, I don't think you could say it's rare there right now in the upper minors. Um, you would need to see, like, a big year in the next year or two from, you know, the Matt Thompson, Drew Dalquist, Jerry Kelly group or, or Norhe Vera and still, like, I don't think any of those guys are um, until they establish otherwise uh, somebody you'd project necessarily to come and be like, you know, a, a number two or a better starter. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I certainly get the idea of if once after two years, if he leaves, you need to kind of refigure what the top of your rotation is. Cause you know, right now he's you know a very big part of it. Um, I don't necessarily think like, you know, there's two years of bust or, two years and everything's gone right now uh as far as an extension you know you i don't think like it's an unwilling party i don't think it's like a dead set on like going to free agency and like absolutely not listening but like mm. i don't think um nothing has happened yet that like got to the point of you know serious negotiations or uh, them getting really close so it would take like the White Sox being way more aggressive um, than they've been uh, to really move that forward. Uh, and I don't know. It, it seems like their best time to do that, you know, is earlier, you know, before he's really established. He, at this point, he could say that I have three seasons of being a well above average starter and I'm only two years away from free agency. You know, if you really wanted to get a below market, deal on the extension, which is where the White Sox have when they've done starting pitchers. Uh, they really needed to do that probably post-2019. It's not that they didn't, but um, I don't think, you know, Giulio's a team union representative. Uh, he's, um, you know, <laughs> represented by the same guy who got Syndergaard, his, like, you know, one year, what was it, $22 million mm -hmm. deal? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think he's really geared towards getting them, like, something really well below market, and certainly not now, uh, certainly not after he was, like, rated one of the top pitchers in his arbitration class, I want to say two years in a row. Um, I think he's pretty keenly aware and not geared towards taking uh, of what he's worth, and especially since he kind of already went through all that um, drama when he's got drafted with uh, teams trying to lowball him and, uh, waiting until like the last second to sign with the Nats uh, out of high school. I don't think he's the guy who's going to, you know, be wowed that he would get, you know, $60 million guaranteed or something like that and then take it. I think he's aware that he's in line for a, you know, was it nine, nine figure payday uh, once he hits free mm -hmm. agency. So I, I think you probably have to talk on that level or give him something that's like commensurate with that. I think you yeah. want to stay with the White Sox, but I don't think like a hometown discount is necessarily in the cards, at least not on like some major level. Um, like I felt like what, you know, Yohan Mankata talk took was probably along more the lines of, of a hometown discount than, you know, Giolito would be structured to. And another thing is 
while like Luis Robert got big money, as well, LA Menes got like a lot of years and big money. Um, are the White Sox willing to take that same leap for a pitcher um, mm-hmm. with injury risk present? Um, you know, as somebody who's had Tommy John surgery in the past, and you know, as many enough years out of it where you can think like maybe this will happen again at some point in his career. If you're talking about five, six years, and you know, he's been like the most durable starter, but it's obviously not like perfectly clean track record and i, I don't know like I, I don't think like Leo's like injury prone or injury risk or anything like that um i think he's done as well as any pitcher as far as staying healthy but the white Sox have seemed to have like shied away from their making their biggest like long-term extensions uh being the pitching side because yep. I, you know there's yeah. just more injury for that so i, I think yeah. position players are probably a bit more easily projectable but at the same time you've you've stopped you've had Giolito, you had Cease, you had Kopech, but the you know possible number one level caliber starters have stopped coming off the assembly line. So you have to start you know stabilizing these guys somewhere. So yeah, um, they've been trying to draft them, but you, you, it's a big year for all those pitching prospects. I would say. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point, um, James. Thank you so much for giving us your time tonight. I really appreciate it. Well, uh, it's uh, back to a, a long, hard night of Netflix for me. Uh, done here. Uh, but I, I was able to take a, a little bit of time away and effort away from that. Thanks for but, taking a break for us. We yeah, thank you. Uh, James Fegan, White Sox reporter of The Athletic. Thank you so much, James. My pleasure. Uh, that was James Fegan, a White Sox reporter for The Athletic. Uh, I believe, Pat, that was his third time uh, joining us. Oh, wow. Uh, we, should get, like, we should have like a jacket or something yeah, for him. Yeah, like, I, I uh, think he joins the uh, the James Fox uh, three-timers uh, group. Herp wow. might be in there, too. I'll have to look back. Uh, well, we'll have to count it up and see who's in the lead. Uh, yeah. be, it's kind of like the, the sausage race of the game. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Such a coveted prize. Uh, love having James on, though. Really uh, love his writing. Folks, if you're not uh, reading The Athletic, uh, if you're not subscribing, uh, it, it is worthwhile reading. And, and, and I reference some of my questions to James. Is a great article last week. You, you probably read it. Um, if not, you know, check it out. And, you know, really what, what he's saying, Pat, is you got Aloy that only played in what, like 50-something games. Same thing for Robert. Grandal hurt. Uh, Mankata can have a bounce back year. And, and so can Vaughn. And we'll get to Vaughn a little bit uh, later. Uh, but, you, you know, the low-hanging fruit is, uh, well, you know, those guys hit and it's like signing a free agent. Don't want to think that way. Shouldn't be thinking that way. But really – it makes you kind of smile when you think about, wow, what, what would what would a season be like to have Robert and Aloy play in 85, 90% of the games? Uh, well, that's the hope, Nick, obviously. And, and you know, it would be a beautiful thing because uh, we, we talked a lot about, you know, the the mixing, the matching of the lineup and making sure it's balanced. Hell, you don't, I don't think you need to have it that balanced when you have guys like that in the lineup, really, when, when you've got that strong of, uh, of hitters up and down from at least one to six, one to seven, probably in the lineup. So, you know, um, they're going to cause teams a lot of problems again. And I've talked about it before. We've talked about it on the show before it's, it's when you have hitters like that, that you cannot, uh, it does not allow a pitcher to, you know, take a breath really and say, all right, got through that. This one's going to be an easy one when they're always really grinding out there on the mound to get through 
the next hitter all the time, it's problematic. So I'm looking forward to it. I don't know really which one, uh, you know, if they're all going to, you know, be fantastic. If it's who knows what this year is going to bring Nick. I mean, because honestly, just because they were hurt last year or, you know, whatever happened to them last year, doesn't mean that something can't happen this year. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you'd like to think that the, the bug is, is past them and onto somebody else. But, you know, that's why you can't stop. That's why you can't, you know, we, we talked about it before the show. It's a cop out. If you say, well, it's like signing a free agent. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that it should take away from your aggressiveness of your front office. Yeah. And, and you could really make a case for, for any of those guys mentioned in the article of, of, of why it would be so great for them. Uh, if they, if they had the bounce back, maybe it's multiple, uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, to James point, you know, he, he's written heavily on, on Aloy and, and I love what he said. It's like if if Aloy doesn't figure it out and if Aloy doesn't come back, it's like we all have to rethink, um, you know, how we how we look at prospects or how we look at young hitters, because it seemed like he was a, a can't miss MVP caliber guy. Same thing with Mankata. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he, he is the he is the rebuild guy. He yeah. is what we gave up. Uh, you know, sale for obviously along with Kopech, uh, all of the hopes and dreams of bringing back a World Series uh, are on uh, Mankata's shoulders and, and with Kopech's arm. And and for that reason, you want Mankata to really bust out, man, and, and be in that MVP conversation. And Robert, you know, he's you know a thousand tool player uh, that you know one of the tools, the speed, you know, he, he tears you know, a leg, uh, you know, the hip issue and, and he's out and, and everything is timing, you know, whether it's, a, a, you know, whatever injury, when you're out, you're out and everything uh, with your timing is affected. Uh, you, you want Robert, a guy that man projected to be another MVP type of guy to, to him have another just breakout year and, and be able to play a 90% of the games. Um, so yeah, when you when you think about those possibilities, like oh wow, what if it's one more than one? What if three of them hit? Yeah, um, you know, yeah, it, it makes a dangerous lineup to your point where there's no place uh, to hide. Well, let's um, let's just talk about you know you talk about success and and how we view guys and this guy's an MVP candidate. I think a lot of it comes down to people looking at you know guys like me not looking at advanced metrics we're looking a lot about home runs really you know you you take average with a grain of salt sometimes depending on who you're looking at you're looking at rbis if that still matters to you it matters to me a little bit still you look at those three guys that you had mentioned in mancata and robert and aloy i think there's potentially you know 90 home runs there nick is that crazy Mm -hmm. no not at all um, because you have yeah. to, th- I would think that all of them could eat, th- hit 30 home runs easily, honestly. Sure. And, and maybe Moncada is a little bit of a stretch. Maybe he's more of a 20 to 25 guy, but I think he's got potential, especially in that ballpark to hit yeah. 30 home runs and Robert and Aloy could easily hit 30. Right. Uh, yeah. And then you've got the guy, uh, Andrew Vaughn, who, um, you know, he, he talked about in the article, just look, Hey, Things fell off at the end of last season. I, I was dragging, you know. I was hurt. I was playing in more games than I've ever played before. Uh, I was trying to, you know, compensate, and you know, timing got off. Uh, it's just a whole mess of issues. Uh, where he plays in twenty twenty two, I don't know. 
He's got to play somewhere consistently, though, mm-hmm. um, because we we all feel, I should say we all, but a majority of Sox fans are, are high on this guy, mm-hmm. um, that this is the guy you don't give up on. This guy just seems like he's got something that you can't put your finger on in terms of um, power and, and, and ability to hit. We, we saw glimpses, man, last mm-hmm. season. I, I'll never forget the game in New York when he took Chapman opposite field uh, for a home run uh, and, and it's happened. Hey, he was just playing, you know, he, he was, he was in, in the deep end and it, it's just, he looked like he was just trying to stay above water. Yeah. You know? it, and, you know, and that it, happens. Yeah. And in the long run, Nick, it could be good for him in his career, right? He's getting this experience, not in the minor leagues and doing the, uh, go to this level, fail and ex- excel and go to the next fa- level and fail and excel. He's got all this experience now at the major league level. He's seen a lot of pitchers, you know, in terms of, you know, the American league, some national league, he's seen a lot of ballparks. Now the different views and he's, you know, he's, he's had success and failure at this level. I think now he can lean back on, you know, his experience and learn from that and be, you know, kind of learning on the job and, and make himself a better player even next year. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it's DH, Pat. You know, I, I, well, I think, be. I don't, I think, I think they're going to throw Aloy back out in left field. Um, you have to. I, I really honestly think you have to. I, I don't think that um, Aloy's Aloy is, is made it very clear that he wants to play left field. I don't know that Andrew Vaughn has made it very clear that he wants to play left field. I don't know that Andrew Vaughn has really said anything about where he wants to play. I think he just wants to be in a lineup every day. So I think until maybe, I've, maybe I'll be kicking myself later on, but until you look at, at Aloy and go, wow, it still is a complete train wreck. I think you got to, I think you play him in left field. How many more accidents, Pat? I mean, well, how many more injuries does Aloy have to have uh, before we say enough is enough? I know what you want, sir. I know you want to be out there in left field. I know you want to play the field. I know you're telling me that you're working on your game and you know you you feel like you're in the game when you're also playing the field and the hitting goes with the the being out there. But I, you know what? What is the Sox organization? What's best for the organization? Um, I was, but there's no right answer, really. I, you know, I, I can't. It's hard for me to think that far back right now, Nick. But when he came back from the injury, I can't say that I was appalled by anything I saw by him in left field. I, I thought he played, but you were holding your breath every single time. A well, ball was I mean, out to yes, left field. but you know, I'm, I'm hoping that there'll be more of that and less of what we saw previous to the injury. Is that Here's my thing. I was not holding my breath when balls were hit out to left field and Andrew Vaughn was out there. Mm. And and maybe, I I don't know if that was me saying, well, if we lose his bat, he is such a green, he's a rookie. This is kind of a wash here anyway. We can't afford to lose Aloy's bat. Look Look what happened. You know, I mean, sure, we won the division, but I don't know. Can you imagine if he was clicking going into the playoffs, playing in 85% of the games of the season, and he was just a tear, and he was feared? Um, Hey, 
shoulda, woulda, coulda. Uh, th these are just, you know, hypotheticals. Um, and it, it's, it's fun to have these conversations on January 11th when there's really uh, nothing else going on. But um, I don't know. The, these are, these are very fan centric conversations. I love this kind of stuff, Pat. Yeah. I love kicking these ideas around because uh, we're going to have to figure out eventually I think that Vaughn will get some run in left field, right, Nick? I think it'll be not quite a platoon situation, but I think it'll be, listen, well, you're going to get 60% of the time in left and maybe Vaughn gets, you know, 20 and you divide yeah. up the other, whatever, whatever it comes out to be. But uh, I'm sure they're going to give him, and when I say him, Aloy, plenty of time to be away from left field to just hit, make sure his body's in good you know, make sure he's in good shape and feeling good and, you know, limit the, um, the opportunities for the, for the train wrecks, if you will. Yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I, I like, uh, James points on, um, you know, when, when could we see progress with these, with these negotiations and, and maybe it's when there's true loss, when there is, when it becomes a little too close to home, maybe when spring training games start getting shaved, when there is a threat, uh, of losing or moving um, the home opener or opening day and, and regular season games are affected. Um, maybe it's a little too far out right now, uh, mm -hmm. but, but it sounds like there are some meetings, Pat, uh, as we're hearing from other baseball sources that there's going to be some talks this week. Yeah. Talks on Thursday. It sounds like is on the calendar. I saw that mm -hmm. on breaking news. There's yeah. a meeting. So that's, that's fantastic that there's breaking news for a meeting, but you know, I'll be interested to see you know, how long is the meeting It'll be prior to the lockout when they met a, a couple of times, handful of times. I think the longest time that they were together for was like 15 minutes and you're not going to get much done in 15 minutes. So I'm hoping that it is I'm, I'm sure they're not going to agree on anything and nothing is going to be done on Thursday. But I'm hoping that there's some healthy debate and and some active listening by both sides. And, you know, look at it as a win win situation and not a owners have to, you know, you know, take you to the mat and pin you and one, two, three, you're out and we win and we're walking away with a championship belt here. Let's all try and make a, the best decision possible for the game to make sure that our fans are well taken care of in terms of not losing what they love and what they want to, you know, view in the summertime. And, you know, there's, it's a negotiation. There's got to be some type of give and take. I just mm -hmm. fear that, you know, as usual, the players have more to lose than the owners. And, and I don't know that the players have it in them to dig their heels in and do what's probably necessary uh, uh, to get, you know, what is rightfully theirs taken care of. Yeah, I, you know, uh, with weather changing here in Chicago this week, warming up, uh, that thaw, you know, things are things are are, are melting a little bit. Um, that's what I'd like to see. Uh, it, it's been a long time since I think there was any conversation. It's almost like meet the new year, same as the old year, um, and it's, you got to say something eventually. You know, yeah. get it going. Uh, and Hey, if there's a meeting and there's going to be some conversation, that's better than nothing. And hopefully this can, then can start the, the big melt. Um, and, and we can get to what's really going on and, uh, and solve some issues and, and get baseball back on the calendar, uh, in, in a definite way. So, so now the winter meetings have turned into the winter warlock 
and where his heart is going to melt and he's going to aid, you know, Chris Kringle in, in helping deliver toys to all the kids around the world. You remember that? Claymation. Is that Winter Warlock? Is that is that from the Rudolph the Red Nosed no, Reindeer? No, 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 my Frosty, friend. That is Santa uh, Claus is coming to town. Oh my dear so lord! I'm you so need sorry. to get up on your claymation uh, okay. to get that reference. That'll be okay. add that to your list of things to watch, Nick. Yeah. Okay. Winter Warlock. Um, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, so, you know, we we uh, we we sit here January eleventh uh, and. Uh, it's in a weird way. It's an anniversary. Uh, we've talked about uh, anniversary signings before. And uh, right around this time, 11th, 12th, uh, last year, Pat, uh, Liam Hendricks came to the White Sox on a three-year, $54 million deal. Um, and at $18 million per year, Hendricks broke the record uh, for annual value of a relief pitcher. Um that was a move that was kind of rumored for a while. Uh, we were watching it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was also a move that it seemed like was a focus of La Russa, uh, getting that lockdown bullpen, getting that rock star closer. And there was nobody better than Hendricks on the market. He was the big fish. Mm-hmm. And the Sox reeled him in uh, at this point last year. It was huge. It was absolutely huge when we looked at uh, our bullpen and what that meant. And it also, what what that meant for putting a player in the crosshairs, going after him and getting him to buy into what we're doing here on the South side. So like, what are your, I guess, can you take yourself back to that a year ago? And were you, you know, everything that transpired over the year, not only did we get the big fish, but the fish delivered, yeah. which is really cool. Yeah. Uh, I just, when I think of Liam Hendricks, I just think of how he, you know, ingratiated himself to not only the team, but the culture and the South side and the, um, you know, how he gives back to the community and how he backs up, you know, the talk and the emotion on the mound. Yeah. He gets beat sometimes, sometimes, you know, 99 mile an hour straight fastball is going to get hit out of the ballpark that happens. And, and when it does, people are going to, you know, bash him for it. You know, how could you give up uh, a blow a save? But for the most part, he was nails, man. And it was fantastic. And the energy he brings, and that's, you know, when you look up closer in the encyclopedia, those are the types of guys that are there, right? The pictures of the guys like Mm -hmm. that, the high Mm -hmm. emotion, the, the, you know, entertainment value that he brings is off the chart. So uh, m- couldn't be happier to have him a- as part of this ball club and uh, can, you know, looking forward to many more saves to come over the next couple of years, hopefully uh, a save in the final game of the year, Nick, in, in terms of winning the world series at yeah. some point. So that'll be fun uh, to see. But again, it's nice to, when they when the Sox are part of a rumor and, and, and it's a good rumor and the rumor comes to fruition and you know, the money is spent on somebody don't forget about that fourth year nick that, that oh, yeah. mysterious creative. fourth year yeah, that very creative, creative uh fourth year that's out there so again couldn't be happier happy anniversary glad to have uh liam on the south side and what a what a great um you know character to have on the team so with that uh occurring and uh materializing i guess you know is we're rem- reminded of this Okay. Um, we forget about sometimes the fact that this was in their crosshairs for the, mm-hmm. during the off season and they, uh, completed this, they finished this. 
mm-hmm. they signed the guy that they wanted. Does it give you uh, hope for when this lockout yeah, ends and, that, that that Han will deliver on some of these pieces? Yeah, in and some don't way? about uh, yes, you know, prior to that, you know, Yasmani Grandal was was you know is one of the better catchers in the American League and in, in, in baseball, really, and he landed that fish too. So there there is hope out there. I just you know it's it's the next level superstars that I think we have to kind of set our sights set our sights on that those are the possibilities and maybe not the the biggest of the big fish as you as you uh as you called it so um you know i'm excited for you know what that brings i i'm i think also too nick the the culture that's been on display with the national attention the Sox have gotten over the past year the big games that they have played in and featured on national tv and the the culture that's been built here you know, that can be, that can help in the recruiting process and people want to be a part of that. And money is, yes, always going to be the, you know, the end all be all. But I think for some guys, it's about where is the opportunity? Where can I play on a big stage? Where am I going to fit in best? And, and, you know, there's, there, the, the Sox check a lot of those boxes right now. Yeah, I, I, you know, this is just all speculation and hypotheticals, but you, you try to put yourself in, in some of these players' uh, shoes of lo- looking to find a new team, looking to sign a contract, who's out there, who could be a good fit for me. You know, their mind's wandering. You know, they're having conversations with their families, I'm sure, of, well, you know, th- these are the cities that are potential suitors. And, yeah, to your point, the Sox have to be in that conversation when it comes to uh, success and winning a championship. Now, mm-hmm. it's got to be the right fit. You know, obviously the Sox are targeting, I think, you know, second baseman and looking for hopefully some some pitching help. You know, maybe right field too. But I, I don't really truly believe that 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 fish is going to come in that right fielder. Uh, I, I think second baseman they'll figure out and maybe another arm or so. Uh, but you know, like there's just so much time yeah. to be thinking uh, from a from an ownership uh, management side to from a player side of, you know, like once this gets figured out, it's going to be very fascinating uh, how fast players yeah. uh, sign and, and and how quick they go. I mean, you really have to have a, a focus and, and, you know, the Sox can, can talk the game. They could say, hey, this is what we're, we're going to be doing. Trust us. We know what we need to do and we're going to get it done. Well, so are so many other teams, yeah. you know, get in line. And I just hope, and I don't know if this is how front offices think or if this is how Rick Hahn would think, but, you know, if you don't get it all done before the season starts, do they look at it and go, well, we still have the trade deadline, right? We've got I enough. I, I don't like falling yeah. back well, on that. I'm, again, I'm just playing devil's advocate, yeah. you know, in, in terms of we've got enough here right now to get us to the point where we're going to be ready to pounce teams will be ready to unload depend but again they're depending on how the playoff situation looks there may be more teams involved and more teams not willing to deal at the trade deadline and sell off some of their assets as maybe right. in the past so right. maybe you look at in the reverse it's like you know if there's going to be more teams involved in the playoff situation that don't know if they're necessarily out of it by the trade trade deadline there may be a smaller pool of people to go out and pluck so It'll be interesting for, to see how they manage that. For a year, Pat, uh, that is, you know, maybe World Series or bust, should be World Series or bust for these uh, 2022 White Sox. I want to be built, ready to go, 
ready to compete. Yeah. And then add on whatever you need to add on and strengthen at the trade deadline, mm -hmm. you know, and it's probably going to be some pitchers, maybe a bat. I don't know. I don't want to go into the season being like, well, we're incomplete, but we can always, uh, you know, readjust at the trade deadline if we're yeah. competitive. Uh, that That is not the mentality, I don't think. And I think a lot of fans uh, would not want that either. I don't want it. I, 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 I'm just saying, I just don't know if that's, you know, a thought like, oh, if we, if we don't get what we need now, we're, there's time and we're going to be competitive enough to be here and probably still be comfortably in first. And let's see what's available in the market uh, once we get to that point. But again, I do, I wouldn't operate that way, but I just wonder if, if organizations operate that way. Yeah. Well, I'm sure some do. Yeah. Um, interesting stuff. Uh, Pat, always a pleasure, buddy, talking White Sox with you. Yes, on a on a very uh, cold evening in January, you talked about a warm up of getting up to thirty eight degrees, and then we plummet back down next. So mm -hmm. it's uh, we've got yeah. a long road to hoe before we get to hopefully a spring training and hopefully talking about warmer days and and getting ready for you know opening day, which when you think about it, isn't that far away. If if we can get through this winter, uh, there are there is baseball on the horizon. Yeah, big tease by the White Sox sending me an email telling me this week that spring training tickets are did you on hop sale, all ready over to there? go. I, I did, I did not, but boy, I, I hey, that brought a smile to my face. Um, uh, hopefully, all this stuff gets figured out. But I, I, I love that that's uh, you know on the horizon. Hey, I hope it you, is. You got to advertise. You still got to try and sell tickets, even if you have no product. I get it. I get it, uh, folks. Thank you so much for letting us steal uh, some of your time. Hopefully these conversations uh, continue with your friends, your family. Uh, you can find this podcast everywhere you find your podcast. Subscribe. Give it a five-star rating on uh, Apple Podcasts. We do appreciate that. It helps other Sox fans find us. Uh, we're on social media. Check us out on Twitter, at GoodGuysTV. Uh, we've got a Facebook a fan page as well um for pat hester uh, for james fegan of the athletic we thank him i am nick morowski until next time go socks